Well, let's, uh, we're, we're going to continue on. We're, we're in our, uh, our series in Mark. Uh, ben took us last week and, and, and talked about the idea, the concept of, of, the, of the blasphemy of the, of the Holy Spirit and, and, and quelled our fears that, oh gosh, maybe I think I've done that, right? Uh, and, and, and maybe, you know, shine some light on that, the, the idea that, that the Holy Spirit is, is God's, uh, it's the, the, the Godhead person that, that pulls us to Jesus, that he, he brings us and glorifies Jesus and, and the Father. He gives both honor to, to both the Son and the Father, and he's the means by which we're drawn into truth and we're drawn into really our, our relationship to Christ. And, and, and so if we reject that, if, if God is out there and he's using the Holy Spirit, and in, in a sense, if the Holy Spirit is kind of this, the, the donut that, that, that God is throwing out of the lifeboat for us to grab hold of so that he can pull us in, um, our rejection of that, if we're, if we're drowning, if we're going down time after time and God is throwing this, this life preserver out to us and we're like, no, 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 I'm good. I, I, I don't need that. I don't need that, right? And we continue to reject that. Then ultimately, that really does become the unforgivable sin because that's our only means to, to come into relationship to, uh, to, to the Son and to the Father. And so, so it, it, the rejection of that then becomes... A, a sin that's unforgivable in this age and in the age to come, not because our sins, it wasn't possible to be forgiven, but because actually we reject the means by which that happens. So we'll carry on. We're in, we're in uh, uh, verse 31 of chapter 3 of Mark. Um, so grab your Bible, turn your Bible on, open your Bible, grab a pew Bible, whatever that looks like, and, and we're going to start going through this a little bit. So remember that uh, when, when Ben was kind of going through that, that, that Jesus' family had shown up. They were, they were concerned about what was going on, and, and, and we're not given exact details on everything that, that they were concerned about, but one thing that was certainly a, a big concern to them is that now the religious leaders of the day are not looking favorably on the things that Jesus is doing and saying. And, and, and that's a big deal because they understand and they know how these folks operate and how they react to anything that they would consider to be kind of out of bounds. And remember, Jesus is pushing every boundary. Jesus is, is always pushing the edges of these boundaries. He's, he's redoing all of these things. He's always challenging us with how we think things ought to go and how we think, think things ought to be. And, and so we're going to take that up right there in verse 31, and it says, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him, and they called him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. And, and so, so Jesus really kind of starts, he's having to deal with, anybody here ever have to deal with uh, any kind of family dynamic stuff? Probably doesn't happen in here, but we know outside of this place, right, that, that people struggle sometimes with family dynamics and what's going on, right? Family can be difficult, right? Family can be actually quite hard. We're hard on one another. Um, and, and these family dynamics begin to show up because, you know, Jesus is really living a human life. And, and family dynamics and family 
things are, are just part of this life. As a matter of fact, too, it doesn't matter even church family realities and difficulties and struggles is a part of doing this thing. Now, one day we're looking forward to the day where it's all good and, and, and where all of those things are kind of lined out, where our own sin and egos and all of these kind of things are, 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 are put aside and, and we actually get to live in relationship in an incredibly pure form, this, this way that where, where there just isn't the, the, the tension and the struggles that we tend to live in. But for today, <clears throat> we're living in this time and these Family dynamics are laying out, and again, Jesus' family is getting really uncomfortable, right? Because, you know, in, in, in that day and in that time, I mean, even things that Jesus are doing, that, that can start to spill over really fast into the family. It's all good and fine while Jesus is doing cool things, and there's lots of people that are coming to see him and stuff, but the minute that the religious leaders start having opposition to him, man, that, that now changes everything, right? That, that, there's a real difficulty in that. Jesus... Uh, Jesus basically begins here to establish the idea that your church family can actually supersede your biological family. That, 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 don't get me wrong, Jesus isn't saying that we're casting out the idea or the concept of biological family, but if we have biological family that we're not spiritually connected to, then there's always a disconnect in that relationship. You ever have friends or family, right, who you know and you love and you care about but they're not, in, they're not Christians. They're not believers. And because they're not believers, there's kind of a, um, it doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't care about them. But there's a little bit of a disconnect in the relationship. The relationship isn't as deep as it possibly really could be because it lives in the plane of the temporal, really. It, it's when we cross over into that plane of the eternal together that really we become bound in this, in this family that, that's just deeper, really, that really runs deeper than just blood. So God's family, the, 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 the amazing thing about that, you see, is sometimes people get ostracized from their biological families. And, and, and what God is introducing, what Jesus is introducing here is this idea and this concept that, that your church family is a family, right? That we're adopted into a new family when we become, when we're in Christ, when, we, when we've trusted and believed on Jesus, when we become a Christian, we're adopted into God's family. And that family is, is like... All of us, right? And, and it's a bigger family than just here. The really cool thing about that is no matter where you go, you can have family. You can find fellowship with believers and you can start to get knit in with another family of believers. Wherever we go, maybe, maybe we go somewhere and our, 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 our car breaks down or whatever, you know? I would hope that, that like we're the church that if somebody came in off the street and they said, hey, you know, we're we're believers, we're traveling through, and our car, can you help us? Can we do something? Yeah, the answer is, you know, we help people outside of our family too all the time. Don't get me wrong. It's not just that it's an exclusive thing, but there's, there's also this bond that goes deeper um, when we have Christ and we share Christ because we're going to be together forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and after all the evers, forever. So, so Jesus begins to establish this. See, the idea is that you got to get born twice, right? We're born into this world in the flesh, right? But Jesus told Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit, right, then is spirit. And so, so we, um, we have to recognize that there's a deep call to us as family, as the church family, you know, this is something that we got to be for Austin. Austin was away from his family, his biological family. They were, 
They, they, they had their struggles, and, and, you know, I think a lot of it was, was probably on Austin's end. But nonetheless, whatever the reason was, he was able to come to a place where he could find community and he could find family, and, and he could have relationship. See, because the enemy is always going to push us towards isolation, right? The enemy wants to isolate us. If, if, if we're struggling, the place that the enemy wants to get you is out of a place where you could find hope and fellowship and healing, which is in community. It's the whole reason that we exist together is to be a community together, to grow individually, right? But then also to be that family so that when somebody walks in here, we can actually be something for them. And even like today, like even something kind of goofy, like just playing knee hockey together. See, we do that. Why do we do that? Well, we do that for a couple of reasons. One is that it's, it's a great opportunity to reach out into the community. And I, and I hope that you've invited somebody from outside to, to maybe come in and participate in that. But it's just play. We're just playing. Why? Because that's what you do in relationships, right? You know, we need to play together. We need to spend time together. The deeper, the more that we do those kinds of things, the deeper we go relationally to one another as family sees. The problem with the church today in America is that we treat the church as, as a destination. It's a place we go. It's a sermon we hear, and that's not the case at all. The church is, is you, you brought church with you when you came in here. I, I almost wish we'd quit calling this church, and we would just call it the building where the church assembles together for fellowship and for edification and to give worship and glory to God. See, that's what we're doing here is that we're, we, we need to be growing in relationship as a family. And, and, and honestly, um, online is a fantastic tool, but it's no more than a tool. It is not church. We cannot begin to, sep, uh, to, to take the idea of fellowship online and say that we're using that as a replacement for church. Why? Because church isn't just the taking in of information. It's not just hearing a sermon. It's participating in the family and in the relationships that go on in here. And the relationships that happen in here are the very thing that are going to hold, that have held this church together and will continue to hold this church together in the future. And the shallower our relationships are, the more we'll be prone to being fragmented and scattered. The deeper that they are, then I believe this, when the day of persecution comes and not if to the church right here in America, we're going to need one another. And we're going to need one another in a deeper and deeper and deeper way. So just want to encourage everybody, you know, I like church. Believe that. Sometimes I don't, honestly, you know. Um, but that's another story. We're not going to get, we won't get into that. But I know sometimes you don't like it either. You know what I mean? And that's a reality for how this goes, right? It's not always just sunshine and easy. Doing relationship is difficult, and it, it takes effort, and it takes, uh, it, it takes perseverance, and it takes commitment. So hopefully that's what we're all here for, and that's what we're doing. See, so as we do these things, as, and, and guess what? You know what's really cool about knee hockey? That's the first thing that got canceled whenever COVID started. That was two years ago. That's crazy. It's crazy. So now we're going to get into it and, and have that, and, and, and we're just praying that, that we're in a different era with all of that, and that we can truly begin to um, kind of go back to, not, not, there's no new, there, we're not going back, we're just not, so I think we should forget that idea. We're moving forward. 
And, and just remember, too, that, that, that God isn't going backwards. He, he's, not, um, he, he's not looking back um, on things, wishing that they were the way that they used to be. God is moving forward, and he has a new plan for all of us, and he has a new plan for his church. So we just want to be a part of that. So let's move on here. So we get into chapter 4, and chapter 4 says this. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, again, Jesus is teaching at the sea. I love this picture. I want to continue to kind of develop this and think about this. Like, like, he's not just at the synagogue. He's not just teaching at the synagogue with the hoity-toity religious people and all of those folks that have got it all together. Jesus is expanding his ministry. He's always doing a new thing. And there are so many people following him. There's so many coming that he's actually going and he's teaching out here by the sea and he's getting in a boat and going out a ways and that produces basically kind of just a, a natural amphitheater and he's teaching everyone. See, what he's teaching and what he's saying isn't just limited to the Jewish men, the religious Jewish men in the synagogue. It, it, it's for everybody. And now we've got, we've got Gentiles, we've got probably Roman soldiers that are hearing things because they're probably posted at different places to make sure that nothing breaks out into a riot or something. We've got women, we've got children, we've got Jews and Gentiles all mixed. You see, we start to see the diversity of what the church is meant to be. And so Jesus is teaching from this platform. And he begins with, with kind of some, an interesting thing. He begins to teach in a parable, Right? And so parables, if you don't know, a parable is simply an analogy. It's simply a story that's told that, that, that gives us a frame of reference, a place of understanding so that we can connect. And Jesus, from that place, begins to teach spiritual truth to us. He uses story to tell us truth. And so this story, he begins, it begins by saying, listen, and behold, a sower went out to sow. That's what sowers do. They go out and they sow, right? They spread seed around. And so there's a sower. And, and I want you to notice one thing about this story, because this story is intricately uh, involved with this sower. It, it's not just about the soils. It's about the sower. It's about the sower and the soils and the fields that he's sowing into. But one thing that's interesting about this sower is that he sows seed everywhere, he isn't just going and making sure that it's all just, and going just to the good ground and making sure he's sprinkling just the good ground. Nope, this sower, as he goes, he's sowing, and there's seed that's falling in all kinds of different scenarios and all kinds of different places. But he's a sower, and so what does he do? He sows 
seed. And he sows that seed everywhere. He's not selective necessarily about where that seed goes. At the end of this, and we're going to go back through the middle of it here in a second, it says this. It says that some seed produces in the good soil, the seed that goes into the good soil, some of it produces 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. And so I think that sometimes we get an idea of what that looks like. Like, I know what a 100-fold ministry must look like, right? And, 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 or I know what a 30-fold ministry must look like, you know? It's, it's, it's those people who aren't doing as much as me, right? Obviously, that must be their, their 30-folders maybe, right? Um, but, but I think that we have a really skewed concept of that. I think that we don't get that at all. I think that we have no clue of what it might look like, what a 100-fold seed might look like. See, and as we get into this, see, we're, we're called to be sowers, and, and that means, and I think we're called to sow everywhere, we're not to be selective. We're not to be a people with partiality. James talks really harshly about the idea of a church and partiality, right? But sometimes we, we do that. We, we want to just sow seeds to people we think might fit in or something. People that we think might not be too much trouble or too hard to kind of deal with, but that's not the picture here. This sower is sowing seed into places that are rocky, places that don't have potentially much hope for really raising up. But in this thing, you know, some of it is a hundredfold. And sometimes we think, well, what would a hundredfold ministry look like? Probably look like Billy Graham, right? Maybe. And, and I'm not saying it doesn't. But what if a real hundredfold uh, ministry looked like the Sunday school that taught faithfully week after week after week after week, and Billy Graham as a little boy sat in that classroom and learned and growed, grew and come to, came to know Jesus and then he went out and did. What if that's the hundredfold ministry? I, I think that we have to really consider that because see, what we do is we start to go, oh, well, gosh, I'm not up front or I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. I'm not involved. So, so surely my, my ministry is, is not a hundred. Well, I don't know. I think there's a really good chance that I think that the, I think that the hundredfold ministries many times will be the ones that we have absolutely no conscious understanding that we had a part of it sometimes. That when we get before God, he's going to begin to show us this picture. And what we thought was a hundredfold, he's going to say, oh, no, that was like, that was 30, you know. And that one we thought 30 or less, or that it was just insignificant. He's going to say, no, let me show you the fruit of what that looked like. See, and that makes, it's available to all of us. This, this, these aren't things that God is withholding or that he's only giving to, to people that he's, you know, given a platform somewhere. I, I, I think people that have a platform probably are, are definitely more than 30-folders on, on, on a lot of levels. I, I think that we just really look at it wrong because we look at it from an entertainment perspective. We look at it because we, 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 we put people up on these pedestals time after time, right? But you know, if, if you'll notice something that's really interesting within the church, the bigger those people get and the higher their pedestal gets, the, the harder they fall, right? And we see it consistently time after time after time. If you're on a pedestal, if you're up front, like me, I mean, the, the, the word is clear, take heed. For all of us, take heed lest you fall, right? Because we all have this potential to do that. But I think that a hundredfold ministry may look very different than what we think. Jesus ends it by, by telling the people, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. Well, we, got all, we all have ears, but the question is, is do we have ears to hear? I haven't always had ears to hear. You probably haven't always had ears to hear. I probably still don't have ears always to hear. 
We're pretty selective about our hearing on a lot of levels. We, 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 we tend to, to want to hear what we want to hear. But in the Hebrew, there was no word for obey. Hearing implicitly had the idea of obeying within the word. If you heard, you obeyed, right? And, and I've said this, but, but we do that with our kids. We get this, right? Because if your kid doesn't do what you ask them to do, do you, what's the first thing you say? Did you hear what I said, right? So hearing and doing have a connection. And, and, and so the Shema, which was the prayer that, that the Jewish people spoke in the morning and the evening, it began with, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, right? And you must go and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, right? And, and so, so anyway, this idea of hearing, and Jesus begins to challenge us with this idea of like, do you have ears to hear? And sometimes in some arenas and in some places, we have ears to hear, and in others, we don't. And I think that's very true for the church today. You see, there's a reality that the culture of the world has come in, and it's come in really deeply into the church. And it's begun, it's begun to disintegrate some of the beautiful things that, that God has for us. Remember that His Word is life. His Word is life to us. It, it, it's, not, it's not meant to be irksome or burdensome, John tells us. That it's there to produce life in us and good things. The problem with me is that sometimes I have a predetermined idea of what I want to hear and what I don't want to hear, right? And so the question is, is are we willing to adjust what we believe according to what we hear? See, if God's word is plain and he tells us something in his word, are we going to believe it? And if need be, are we going to adjust our attitude to be in accordance to his will and to hear what he's calling us to hear. There, there's, there's a lot of stuff in our culture today that's, that, that's really challenging us in these areas, right? And the Bible clearly calls them sin, but yet we don't want to acknowledge that they're sin on many occasions. And so if we, that we leave ourselves then outside of the hope and the healing, and the wholeness that God has for us because we want to live in denial that God's word is actually true. Kind of sounds like the garden to me, right? What happened was that God's word was put out. God gave direction to Adam and Eve, and then the enemy came in, and this enemy began to steal in that area and begin to challenge the idea of, oh, did, did God really say that? Wow, that seems unreasonable. Gosh, he's really kind of over the top, isn't he? He's really kind of a radical. He's really kind of um, not for you, is he? Actually, he just wants to lord some things over you and kind of keep you down here. That's why, you know, that's the way it is. And I think that sometimes we don't recognize how deeply affected we've been by that kind of uh, stuff. So Jesus goes on to say this. After he said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear, the disciples, that kind of freaks them out, right, in this next part, because they say this, they're like, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables, and he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, 
so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. See, this is a lot on the lines of, of, of what Jesus was talking about with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not that God is trying to be deceptive or hide things from people. It's that people don't want to hear and listen and understand. And so, so you know, they get, they're like, oh, hey, make sure we, we want to hear this. Uh, you said that we should understand that if we had ears to hear. So they're like, tell us about that. What is it? And he tells them, look, to, to you, if you're, if you're in the kingdom of God, if you're in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit in you. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's the teacher, he's the paraclete, he's the, he's the one who's going to guide and equip us, right? And if we have that, then God is going to begin to teach you in that. He's going to speak into your spirit. But you see, the spirit has to be winning the day. We have to be living in the spirit in order to communicate with the spirit of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are spiritually discerned. What does that mean? It means this. It means if you're not in Christ, you can't really get it. Because you're not on the free, your, your radio isn't turned in, it's not dialed into the frequency that God is speaking into. See, if we're living in the flesh and for the flesh and for the things of the world, God is not going to communicate with you in the flesh. He said that the flesh must die. He's not going to speak into what he says must die. He's going to speak into the spirit. And, and so for us as believers, sometimes that's a day-by-day -day decision as well. Is am I walking as a spiritual person or am I walking as a more fleshly person? Because if I'm walking more fleshly, I'm not going to hear from God. I'm going to be outside of that relationship with God. I'm not going to want to commune or to speak or to spend time with God because honestly, I probably don't honestly want to hear what he has to say to me. And so um, it's not, again, that God is trying to hide, but, but, that, but that God has done this in a way that he allows people's free will to stay central in this. He's not going to violate yours or my free will or much of anybody else's. You see, he wants authentic love relationship. He wants us to choose to come willingly before him and to spend time and to hear and to listen and to be willing to, to just have the attitude that says, God, whatever you say, that's where I want to be. I want to align my life and my will in accordance to yours not wall off this area of my life over here and deny you access, but I'll be okay with everything that I'm in agreement with. That's not really what it looks like to live in authority, right? So Jesus said, and do you not understand this parable? How will you then understand all the parables? So it's an interesting thing here that Jesus is telling that somehow this parable begins to unlock for us something about all of the parables, and, and, and so he says this, he begins to explain, and we'll just let Jesus explain, we'll let God's word explain what he's trying to say in this. He says this, he says, the sower sows the word. It's God's word that the sower is sowing, right? Let's, let's look into that just a little bit here. Let's think about that. John 1, I just want to read you some some verses and go through some verses about the Word. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here the word is, is, is just put together with the creator, that the creator is the word. And remember, for, for in John 1, what, what John is doing is he's taking John 1 and he's associating John 1 back to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? All things were created by, by him and nothing that was created was created apart from him, John 1 tells us. And then when he uses this word, this logos, this word logos in the, in the Greek, what he's doing is, is he's appealing to the Greek speaking people in the culture out there. And the word logos, it has the idea not just of a spoken word, but the thing that has the very meaning behind the universe, the very reason even for the universe. What he's talking about, what we're talking about is the embodiment of truth, that Jesus doesn't just come and tell us the truth. No, he is the truth. And so foundationally, he's the very truth that everything has to be built off of. It goes on. No, it doesn't. But I'm going to read it to you. It doesn't go on there, but that's why I do this right here. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. John 6.63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. God's very word to us is life. Again, that, that the flesh is no help to us whatsoever. It's the Spirit of God that gives us life. For the Word of God, Hebrews 4, 12, of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There's something amazing about the Word of God that it goes down into a deep place and it begins to divide and it begins to show us and reveal to us the reality of our heart and who we are and where we're at and our relationship to God. Should I quit clicking this thing or it seems like when I click it, it, no, is that, it's not me, just a coincidence. Uh, John 8, 31 and 32 uh, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the word of God. It's God's word that sets us free. It's this very thing that takes us out of the bondage, you know, and the reality of it is, is that we don't understand what freedom is. We think that freedom is doing the thing that we want to do. The problem with that is that so often the thing that we want to do leads us straight into bondage. See, freedom isn't doing what you want to do. Freedom is doing the thing that keeps you out of bondage. It's doing what God has called us to do because God is very interested in your freedom. And he's very opposed to us being in bondage to, to these other things. 1 Peter 1.23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 
So God's word is this thing even that, that moves us, it brings us into salvation. Again, not just the spoken, understood, written word of God, but the very embodiment of truth. You see, words are powerful, and words mean something. And in our culture today, we're in a battle of words. Why are we in a battle of words? Because words mean something. Words and the association that words have with other words brings meaning into language, right? Ask Ben about words, and he'll tell you that words are very powerful. As a matter of fact, when you make a contract or he draws up a contract, he has to be very careful about the words that he uses. Why? Because those words become the basis of everything. So the Bible is an amazing thing. The Bible is this book that basically is really the first book in Western culture. And out of that book, it lays as the basis for all truth. And all things and all of the books and everything that has really come out of Western culture has come out of this idea of God's Word. And we see it in different we see it in our nation in the way that our, our, our nation drafted the, the, the Constitution. The things that are in there, that, that men have inalienable rights that can't be taken from them. The reason they can't be taken from them is because they don't originate with people, they originate with God. Therefore, no man can, can strip another person of those rights. And, and, and so we see it even in the 12-step program. It, because it comes out of God's word, and we see that millions of people have found freedom and recovery in that. Why? Because it's fundamentally true, even if you don't believe it. You see, people who, who practice God's uh, prescription for a healthy marriage, they'll, they'll reap the benefits of practicing a healthy marriage according to Scripture, even if they're believers or not. Why? Because it's true. Because it's true. Because it's true, it works. And it works whether you believe or not, but it becomes the basis for truth. See, this is the struggle with the thing with words and the battle that we're in in our culture today with words, with pronouns, with, with, with gender, with the things that our culture is struggling with. Basically, there's a war on words and there's a war on defining those words. And what happens is that it boils down to fundamentally trying to restructure truth at its core. It begins to, to try to lay down a new foundation because what happens is when we lose a, uh, the, the war of words, we basically then begin to define how we see the world. And so we always need to be kind, considerate, loving, and graceful, but there's a reality too that it does matter about words. Words matter in the end. And they're the very basis by which everything else is really going to be built off of and the direction that many things are going to go in our world. Because when we begin to redefine those things, now we, we expand our definition of those things and everything changes. And, and it changes not in accordance to what God's Word has said and calls for. And so, so people can be upset and they will be upset at you and I when we say those kinds of things. But, but, but God, we, we have to believe, A, in two things. One is a new creation. The Bible teaches a new creation. The Bible teaches that God comes and fundamentally changes us from the inside out. The day that I cease to believe that is the day that I cease to stand up here because I'll have no hope. 
There's nothing for me to talk about if I don't believe that God can fundamentally change anyone from where they're at into something else. It's happened to me. I've experienced that. It's part of my life. God redefined everything in my life. The things that I believed were true and right and just the way that they were and the way that the world was going with it. And it's just the way that it is. God has so changed my view and my, my, my perspective on those things. And I see them completely different now. I, I actually can't even believe now what I used to believe was okay, right, and true and just the way that everybody did it. You see, but this is the way that we're measuring truth in our culture today. We measure truth in accordance to this. We take surveys. You ever wonder why there's so many surveys out there? It's because we don't know what truth is because we've moved away from God's word. And when we begin to take away, so what we do is we take surveys. And when 51% of the people believe X, now X becomes the true thing. Why? Because people are doing it. But truth is deeper than that. Truth has nothing to do with whether you believe it or or, or, or support it or anything. It's just true. If it's true, it's just true, right? Things like gravity are just true. We could go up on the roof of the building, right? And you could tell me, hey, I don't really believe in gravity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, what if you step off the roof? The truth of gravity is going to take over, right? See, we believe in this culture today that somehow truth has to bow to belief, that truth has to bow to belief, but truth never bows to belief. Belief must bow to truth. That's the way it has to go. So God, Jesus goes on to, to explain. Oh, way to go, Charlie, you lost your place. Goes on to explain um, this parable to us. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Matthew kind of expounds on this in Matthew 13, verse 19, and he says this. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So there's a need for understanding, right? I think we see a really interesting picture of that with Philip and the Ethiopian, right? And, and the Ethiopian is there, and he's in his chariot, and he's very interested and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, and Philip comes up to him, and he says, hey, do you, the Holy Spirit moves him to go and to speak to this guy first off. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but, but I would encourage us all to just be obedient in that. Aren't there times in your life where you feel like, you just feel like in your spirit, not audibly or anything like that, but that God is like, hey, you should go talk to that person. You should offer something to them. You should, you, should be, you should go do this or that. I mean, I think what would it look like if we began to really just believe and be like, okay, I'm going to say yes to that. I'm going to reach out to this person real quick, you know, and, and just be there for them. But anyway, he, he goes up to him and he says, hey, do you, do you understand what you're reading? And, and he says, no, how can I unless somebody helps me with that, unless somebody explain it to me? And, and, and so I think that as, as uh, you know, as believers, as the church, we, we have to, this is why discipleship is so key. And this is what we're doing ultimately is discipleship right here, going through Mark. We're, we're doing discipleship together. But discipleship is this, is this thing where, where we have to first know 
be poured into so that we can pour out, so that we can help somebody else with this. You know, not just be like, oh, I don't know, uh, let me call my pastor. No, you actually should have an answer for people whenever they ask about things. But when they don't understand, the evil one comes and he snatches away what has been sown in the heart. Goes on to, to tell us, um, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who were, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. How invested are you? How committed to this are you? If persecution comes your way, are you going to fall away? You know, the Bible talks about that there's going to be a day when there's a great falling away of the church that the church is going to fall into a place of, of false teaching, that people are just going to, it says that they're going to go places where, they're, where the itching ears are, are, are tickled, that, that, that basically that they'll just go places where people are telling them what they want to hear. See, my job, here's what happens. Here's how, here's how my job works. God steps on my toes, and then I step on yours. That's, what, that's how this works. God steps on my toes. He challenges me with his word. There's nobody in here that needs to just be in a place where, where, they're, where everything they're hearing is what they want to hear. That's a really dangerous place to live your life out of. We need to be challenged, and God's word challenges us on where we're at in our lives. And then it, it just, it, it, it's challenging us here with this idea of like, what are you going to do when persecution comes? Because here's the reality. If you live a life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted, period. You will be. Not you might be. Not there's a great chance of it. If you live your life for Jesus out there, hardcore, for real, people are going to persecute you. Now, now, if you live in different places in the world, there's, there's, there's incredible degrees of that. There are people who are meeting this morning who are in danger literally for their lives because they're willing to meet. See, they're in, right? They're in. And, and it's, it's, it's not just persecution here too. Um, it's also affliction, it says. Maybe you're afflicted in your life with something. Maybe you're experiencing great pain and great difficulties. Maybe you've experienced great loss. Are you still in? It's one way I know I'm in today. After the last eight months of my life, the worst ever, by far, no, no comparison, I know I'm in because I'm in. I'm not out. I got every reason to be out right now. And, and I've went through things that people get out because of. They leave their faith. But I'm in. Where else am I going to go? What else am I going to believe in? What else am I going to trust in? You know, I don't know where I'd go. I know where I'd go. Actually, I do know where I'd go. And I'm just telling you, I don't want to go there. Because it wouldn't bless me. Wouldn't help me. Wouldn't help people around me. Even though it's hard and we're pressing in, we've got to be an enduring people. 
1 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 7, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. God allows persecution and difficulties at times into his people and into his church. Why? Because it begins to set us apart drastically from the world when we press into Christ in those areas. It begins to challenge people out there that says, how do you do that? See, in losing a daughter, I'm living every parent's worst nightmare. And people are like, how do you, I don't think I can do that. I don't know how you do, I don't know how I do it either, but I've just pressed into Christ. I don't have choices right now. I've got choices, but, but that's the only good one I have is to press into him and to allow him to do that. These guys here were, were um, they received the word in the midst of much affliction. See, this parable begins to tell us four different outcomes for what that looks like. And in that, they, they fall away because they have no root in, in themselves. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enters in and chokes the word and it proves unfruitful. Now, I think that's kind of an interesting thing. And I think that that's very much one that we as the American church need to really look at and think about. Because we allow all of these things, and I do too. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you guys, well, I'm struggle with my stuff, right? I got all these different things and they can occupy too much of my time. They can get in the wrong place in my life, my hobbies. It's mainly my thing. It's, it's like what I'm into right now, right? And, and it can start to occupy just, it's not that it's a wrong thing. It's just that I give it a wrong place in my life and in my heart. And, and, and so these things are things that choke out it doesn't kill. It doesn't say that it kills it. It says it chokes it out so that it's unfruitful, so that it's not able to produce what it could produce. And you see, there's, there's nothing. I do know one thing, too, that, that living our life for Christ is the most fulfilling thing that you can do in your life. If you really live your life for Christ and, and when you're in that spot and you're, you're on fire and you're moving forward in it, you feel alive in a way that you just don't feel otherwise where we're chasing these things that we can't catch because once we catch it, you gotta just go catch it again because it can't really satisfy in the way that these other things do. So we have to be a people who look at these things and, and evaluate them and, and, and say, am I, am I doing that? Do I have things, am I chasing other things that leaves my life and my walk unfruitful? Is it choking out my relationship to Christ and what God would have me to be doing in the world out there. And, and if it's doing that, maybe it's something that needs to leave. At least it's something that needs to get reprioritized in my life. Second Timothy 4.10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Sometimes we think about Demas and we're like, what, could, what back then, what, well, what could have been the attractive thing that he went and, well, same old thing. We just have more of it, right? I don't know what it was. It was something he was chasing, right? Stuff, money, things, sex, uh, power, prestige. I don't know. 
Same old stuff we struggle with. Because see, the problem is inside of us. This is why our technology isn't proving anything or providing anything for us that's, that's a way out in reality. It's just kind of, it's not bad. Don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's bad, but as good as it is, it has the capacity for evil. Why? Because inside of the hearts of people, it gets twisted and bent. So things that could be really good also can become really evil, right? Why? Because the problem is inside of us. What's the solution? The solution is the Word. It's the Word of God, and it's, and it's not just the Word of God. It's, it's beginning to, to live by this. See, because this sower isn't just sowing once. This isn't at the point of your salvation. This is a continuous sowing of God's Word over our lives. And, and what is that falling on? What, what kind of soil is that falling on? And if, you're, if you think about a farm or if you've done any farming, and I can't really speak to this very well, but, but um, I did a lot of ranching, but not a lot of farming, but, but there's, there's preparation that needs to go into, into good places and good soil and whatnot. There, there's work that goes into that. There's, there's care that goes into that, right? And, and I think that sometimes if you, look at a, like if you looked at a map of a farm, you'd see different places that maybe were better soil and better places and better things and all of that. And, and a farmer's continuously working to take his more unproductive places and make them better. If you looked at our lives as kind of a patchwork like that too, that I think that we have places that are really rich and good and, and are good soil in our lives and we're willing to hear and receive that and, and have that grow in our lives. But we also have these rocky places and we have these, these spots that just need some work and stuff. And when the seed is falling in those areas, it's just unfruitful in our lives. And so I, I don't look at this. Some, I used to look at this as like a point of salvation parable. Now I'm looking at it as like God is always sowing over our lives. He's always sowing seed into our lives and His truth and His Word. And, and what is that falling on? How's your soil? And do you have ears to hear? Are you willing to hear what God has to say? And, and understanding that hearing truly means acting on that. Because if we just hear it, but we don't, aren't moved by it, then the hearing of it really had no effect, right? James tells us that, that, that really, that if we're a hearer of the word but not a doer, we're like a man who, who, uh, who deceives himself, who after having looked at his natural face in the mirror and then having gone away, immediately forgets what kind of person he was. You see, the hearing and the doing are essential to us knowing who we really are, to knowing the reality of the identity that we have in Christ and why we're here. So, Lord, we just ask that you would give us ears to hear. Help us, Lord, in the areas of our hearts and in the soil of our lives, Lord, that, that just needs work, that, that needs, uh, we need to spend time there. We need to, we need to uh, meet with you there. We need to allow you to, to plow and to, to do the work that you want to do, that our lives might be truly fruitful. Lord, help us and protect us from just our own ways and our own thoughts and our own minds, the things that would limit us, the things that choke out, Lord, your word in our lives, the things that choke out your plans and your purposes for our lives. May we, may we not do that. May we, may we evaluate those things. May we be a people who are quick to realize that you have good for us, that your word is good, that it's life. And help us, Lord, to, uh, to not just hear, but to hear and obey. Uh, that we might walk closer with you and that we might really uh, be effective in, in, in the world out there, 
Help us, Lord, to be light and life like you've called us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.